Well, good morning. It is great to have you with us at Horizon. Uh, today we're continuing a new series called Smart Book. And our premise is that the Bible can be a smart book, like a smart piece of technology that can help you in everyday decision making. And yet I think more times than not, people think of the book as a book of superstition, like that last song you just heard. Well, there might be some principles in there. People can believe whatever they want. All paths lead to God. Let's not take it too seriously. Let's certainly not take it literally. And especially today as we're looking at how this smart book can help you upgrade your parenting and upgrade your grandparenting. More times than ever, our kids have been exposed to questions at an earlier and earlier age. Where it used to be questions got exposed to in college, they're now in high school, now even junior high and elementary, they're asking tough questions. Is there really a God? Is there any proof for God? What about the problem of evil? Hey, I came across this passage from the Bible. That doesn't look right. How could God have allowed that? And so part of this series, we're trying to give you some tools to help to dig into and understand how to answer questions. Because we don't want our kids thinking the Bible is just a superstitious book of myths. Now, you may have come in today and say, well, that's where I'm at. And that's fine. You can believe whatever you want, Horizon. But we feel like if you believe something with conviction, you should be able to have some philosophical thought through decent arguments for it saying because i believe it or because the bible says it are pretty weak arguments so how do you find information to pass on to your kids or grandkids or even yourself when you're looking into a passage or looking into a question well do that today i want to show you another website which we started with last week so this website is called blueletterbible.org it's a very helpful bible study uh, website for doing uh, bible studies for getting answers to tough questions, and for digging into a Bible passage. So if you type into your browser, blueletterbible.org, then, for example, I might put in, is the Bible true? If I click on that, it will pull up a tab, and primarily it says, hey, there's nothing on this tab, because that's primarily for Bible stuff. If you look secondarily, dictionaries, lexicon, facts. I click on facts, there's over 100 articles giving information to help answer tough questions for yourself for your kids or grandkids. So here's the whole article on, is every statement of the Bible true? Oh, what's the argument for that? If God is behind the writing of a book, what should we expect from it? What is the doctrine of inerrancy? I don't even know what that means. It'll explain the idea that the Bible is without flaw, without error. How do we know the Bible is the word of God? So lots of articles just to explain and answer questions. Here's one, what is the canon of scripture? Why do we have these 66 books and not other books? What was the criteria? Did they just vote on it? When did they vote on it? So blueletterbible.com is a great place to just put in questions to get information for yourself and others. Or you might come across a passage. You know, why did God allow um, Noah to survive and all those people to die? Or maybe today after the message about parenting, you think, who in the world was Queen Athelia? So after my message today, you type in Athelia. Who's Queen Athelia? So we'll learn about it in just a moment. And so you click on that, and it will bring up passages. Oh, here's where I find that in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings 8.26. So-and-so begot so-and-so who had a, a Thalia. I click on that verse, and all kinds of cool tools come up when you click on the verse. And so this is helpful no matter what passage in the Bible your kids are in or you're in or want to look about, look around for. There's a little piece here that says Bibles, cross-references, commentaries. Commentaries are different people discussing all the questions, problems, or explanations for the verse. If I click on commentaries, you'll see a whole list of different messages or notes come up. 
Here's audio or video. Here's a guy named Chuck Smith, pretty famous pastor, died a few years ago, does a whole message on that passage. Another guy, John Corson, uh, Dr. Vernon McGee. So you can just click on these and hear people explain that passage, uh, unpack some of the questions and doubts in there. And so this can be a great tool. There's lots and lots more pieces in there, but I'll just stop there to say, I think today as we parent and grandparent in a world of technology, more than ever, what we need is to be able to answer tough questions. So we certainly do that at Horizon. We try and address questions all the time. You can get those off our website as well. Tough questions about the Bible, God, evil, suffering, philosophy, all those pieces. But we want to put tools in your hands as parents and grandparents because we know that parenting in today's world is more difficult than ever, as you're about to see. Let's watch. So how do we parent in a world of technology? You know, it's interesting, there was a study done by an insurance company in California, and they were trying to deal with chronic heart disease and trying to get people to not only lose weight to be healthier. So part of that, they had a mandated and paid for, as part of their premium, weight loss program. So everyone was put into the program, and as things began to develop, they were shocked that the top 10% of the people who were losing weight, I mean, the top, this, it was working. It was successful. And yet the top 10% that were losing weight, the program was working, suddenly dropped out despite the success. Because they are an insurance company, they had access to medical records. And they began to investigate why would 10% of people who are working in the program drop out. And as they researched this, they found that 100% of them had childhood trauma. Specifically, the loss of someone at an early age, a caregiver, a grandparent, a parent who is no longer connected in their life. It wasn't always through death. Sometimes it was someone who was lost because of addiction, someone who was lost because of years of depression. And that much of that weight loss that was put on was a protective mechanism against something that happened, a, a trauma sexually that happened to them, uh, a grief of losing a mother or grandmother. And so as they began to lose weight, they actually, there's a defense mechanism in them that went, whoa, I don't want to lose any more weight. This protects me from the dangers of the world around me. What was surprising to them as they researched this is how much early family trauma or emotional issues undealt with in your childhood could manifest itself into your older ages. And they found that the more undealt trauma you had in the past, the more tendency you had toward chronic health problems, specifically heart problems. And they found undealt with issues from the past in your childhood led to a 2,500% increase in suicide. So they developed what's now becoming a regular practice in education, in coaching, and certainly in psychology, and that is what's called ACE, Adverse Childhood Events to look at behaviors, to look at weight, to look at challenges people are going through. And instead of presuming at first it's a behavioral issue, see if there might be an emotional issue behind that that need to be, needs to be dug into that might result from childhood adverse events. With that in mind, the reason God created family is he wanted family to be a, a home, a haven. That no matter what was going on in the world, home was a haven. That despite the pressures and challenges in the outside world, the bullying, the disappointment, the people stabbing you in the back, 
the bullying uh, through cyber events and, you know, texts and people posting stuff and, and, and all the pressure and expectations. God designed the home to be a haven, a safe place where you could be real and you could be honest and you could let your guard down. And it would be a safe place to, in that safe place, create dangerous leaders for a dangerous world. We can't protect our kids from how dangerous the world is, physically, the questions that are come their way. But we need to create a safe place so they can have those questions. It's okay to ask that. It's okay to doubt that. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to share that. And it's in that safe place we equip our children and grandchildren to go and face the dangerous world out there. In fact, let me give you an example of just one verse from the Bible when it comes to parenting. Here's from Ephesians. So think about how the safe place would have been created if we or our parents or grandparents had practiced these two verses. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But instead of provoking them to wrath... Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. See, many of us, when it comes to our parenting, especially as dads, we've got one verse. It may not even be from the Bible, but it's a proverb or we grew up with, you better respect me, you better obey me. And it's true. People need to learn how to respect and obey authority, and that's an important part of parenting. What if that, instead of being the primary verse you think about in parenting, what if it was, my main goal here is not to provoke my children to wrath, to make sure that how I interact with them is fair and gracious and kind. What if being kind to our children was as important as them obeying us? What if the goal was to bring them up, to develop a sense of why we believe what we believe, why this is so important? Well, tell me, what what is it you don't like about this? Let's have a dialogue on this. But to bring them up, it's a process, it's a training, it's a mentorship aspect of parenting. Or how about this verse from Ephesians? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. I haven't done that one very well, as a parent or otherwise. What if your primary view of parenting is, I need to create a home that's a haven where while you're here, no corrupt words come out of our mouths toward each other as a family. What kind of environment would that create? In a family, in a workplace, Wouldn't we all love to work in a place where there's not corrupt talk and gossip and demeaning this and you're such a disappointment? How could you? I dare you. How dare you speak to me that way? But rather, instead of the negative, corrupt words, what what if we created a haven where what is good comes out of our mouth? What is necessary for edification, which means to build each other up? What if our homes, what if our marriages... What if our families were a place where you felt built up, you felt believed in, you felt cheered on, you felt understood, edified is the Bible word for that. That it may impart grace, we're talking about grace today, a safe place to be disappointed, a safe place to be fearful, a safe place to be disappointed to its hearers. If I just took that, those two verses from the Bible and said, if that was the measurement of my parenting, what grade would I give myself? Hmm. How much am I giving grace? What about your parents or grandparents? If you think about your parents, if they had had a little bit more building up and a little bit more, it's okay to ask that, 
and I care about what you're feeling and thinking about that, would your relationship with your dad or mom be different today? I bet it would. And how much of what you wanted from your parents became the pattern of what you did wrong with your kids or are doing wrong? Where you're not creating home to be a haven. So to do that, we're going to look at two aspects here. Grace and grit. Both are equally important. Grace is the idea that home should be a haven, a safe place. Now, safe place has got a bad rap today, right? Because, oh, safe place, these millennials, these kids today, these Gen Zs, they can't take anything. They just need to grow a spine. Now, part of that's true. We're going to get to grit in a moment. But I think we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. You want to know how to teach people how to be gritty? You've got to create a place where they feel cared for and loved, a safe place of love and concern and empathy so that we can build the tools for grit. And let's face it, more than ever, there's always been pressure in every generation, but the ability with technology today to be tempted more than ever, to be bullied more than ever, the expectation and busyness more than ever, home needs to be a safe place that we can process all the expectations that go on. Now, to do that, I want to tell you a bizarre story. I mean, it's a bizarre story from the Bible. The story is about a queen named Athelia. Queen Athelia, and she has a grandchild, and his name is Joash. And this wonderful family isn't quite so wonderful. So much so that Queen Athelia is going to... Well, let me tell you another story. My... Uh, my brother used to love these, rated B, these B-rated movies growing up with Gilbert Godfrey up all night. And he always liked watching these B-rated movies. And so it was all kinds of crazy stuff like the Satan's cheerleaders and devil's dogs and uh, killer bimbos and the slime ball ramage. These are actual titles, by the way. And so I walked in one time and he's watching Rabid Grannies. What are you watching, Ryan? Rabid Grannies. And I asked, what's it about? It's about a bunch of grandmas who get rabies and start eating everybody. It's like the original zombie movie. In fact, I had a, a friend of mine in my small group in my 20s, and I said, Hey, have you ever heard of this terrible movie? My brother used to love it called Rabid Grannies. My friend Ed turns to me and goes, You've got to be kidding. You've seen it? My roommate in college, Grandma, was in it. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? So I have told my kids this story from the Bible for years as we did Bible time on car rides and in hot tubs. And I always refer to Queen Athelia as Rabid Grandma. The reason I call her Rabid Grandma is because she is so power hungry that Queen Athelia will, in order to consolidate power, go rabid and kill off all of her kids, all of her grandkids, so they can't take the throne from her. Joash will escape. Because of that, Josh will have severe trauma that he's going to need to deal with. And just to differentiate between shock, trauma, and abuse from our childhood, let me give you some definitions for that. Shock, think of it like a light snow. Occasionally some snow falls down, there's conflict in your home, and there's the shock of mom and dad saying something they shouldn't have said, you're such a disappointment, I can't believe you, cussing at you. It's a shock, there's conflict. But mom and dad own it, they apologize for it, there's repair attempts made. And so though there's some shock from the past, like any regular family that's not perfect, there's regular doses of grace to repair and fix. Others of us grew up with more like trauma. This is more like a, a blizzard. It was ongoing, continual conflict in the home. 
everybody's always gossip and triangulation and you never were safe and so home was not a haven it was a place you had to protect yourself you never admitted you're wrong because you just handed bullets to your sister bullets to your mom and dad and say you remember you told us you were wrong and they hold it against you for the next 20 years people always fighting you're hiding in your room never felt like anyone was safe let alone you and the issue is you didn't even know there was that much conflict or trauma it was just normal I remember going home with a girl I dated one time. We came in and visited with her family. After the weekend, we're on our way back home, and I'm like, is it always like that? Like what? Like the whole time? Like constant criticism of each other, constant cutting each other off, constant like no one listens to each other? I didn't even notice. And I just, like the whole weekend, was just like I could feel the tension. Now, this girlfriend told me that there wasn't a lot of talking growing up, there was a lot of conflict growing up, and it wasn't a lot of safe place and didn't really feel protected. But she never connected that there was this trauma going on. No one had helped her process. No one, there was never a safe place. Or abuse. And abuse is an avalanche. This is not just conflict going on, but this is someone violates you. Sexually, verbally, this is a loss of identity through shame or trauma. And this kind of abuse, you kind of lose yourself in the midst of it. Well, this is where Joash finds himself. Because what he's going to witness as a small child is in the abuse trauma category from his own grandmother. So let me read the verse for you too. There's lots of characters. I'll promise I'll sort them out in just a second. Here's the story. Queen Athelia, the mother of Aziazar, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. It's time for her to take over. But Jehosheba, I'll tell you who she is in a minute, took Joash, the grandson, the son of Eziezer, stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athelia, rabid grandma, so that he may not be killed. He was hidden from her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athelia reigned over the land. Quick family tree of rabid grandma. Rabid grandma is married to Jehoram. When he dies, they had two kids, Jehoseba and Ahiezer. She consolidates powers, killing off everybody, but the daughter, or the son rather, of the two people in the middle, Joash, gets raised by a priest named Jehoiada before his mom and dad are killed. So all the people you really need to care about for this story is rabid grandma and Joash, the grandson. And he has been hidden away in an environment of grace to deal with the family trauma, to create a safe place in a very, very dangerous world. One of the first things they do, which I think we can practice as well, is that how can we make our home a place that we create a place to process? Now, Josh is going to have a lot to process. Why have I lost my mom? Why have I lost my dad? Why is grandma doing this? And look what they did. When they created this environment, they stole him away from the dangerous world. They hid him from the dangers out there. He was hidden away. Part of what the home is, is a place that people can take off their masks and be real. When somebody comes home and is disappointed because a job didn't go well or because a team didn't go well, you don't say, well, there'll be another one. You teach our kids how to deal with grief and failure and disappointment. In fact, ACE is being practiced now in schools all over the world, and they're teaching teachers and principals, mentors, coaches, and parents 
how to presume when you see a bad behavior, there might be something going on beneath the surface, an adverse childhood trauma that needs to be dealt with. And you've seen this in your kids. You thought they were just disobeying, and you found out their boyfriend broke up with them that day. You found out that somebody spread a nasty rumor, and it's spreading across the Internet. Well, that makes sense. And what came across as a harsh, you've got to listen to me, you had more empathy as you said, wow, let's process what's really going on. Kelsey is one of those girls. She grew up in a very tough neighborhood. She went to an alternative school that was practicing ACE. And she got into a huge fight. And she was tough as nails. wasn't going to take anything from anybody. They have two rules at the school. Number one, don't take whatever a student says personally. And number two, don't mirror back their behavior. In the middle of this fight, the police officer broke her up. And the person she was fighting brought her to the principal's office. The principal and the police officer sat down with her gave her a glass, uh, gave her a, a bottle of water. I said, ma'am, what's going on? What caused that? Now, there's still consequences. She's going to have a suspension. She's going to have some things happen. But they spent time caring for her. She'll graduate four years later with a 4.0 and be the first one in her family to go to college. And she will say, it was the grace and it was the environment created by her teachers and her principal and the police that allowed her to begin to deal with what was really going on behind her behavior. See, what they found out is at age 12, she'd been sexually assaulted and never had a safe place to talk about it. That her mom was a drug addict, and she'd essentially lost her mom two years ago because she came home to a very unsafe neighborhood and home. And it was through hearing genuine mentors who cared for her worked with her, helped her process what's going on, the disappointments in her life, she was able to start making progress. It may be not that level of trauma, but it might be. To presume with our kids, don't take what they say personally, don't mirror back talking to them the way they talk to us, but to create an environment to process what's going on in their lives. Secondly, to create an environment of unconditional love. I mean, this was six years Jehoiada is hiding Joash. Six years hiding him away from all the dangers because his rabid grandma is still trying to kill him. And for six years, they hide him away in an environment of unconditional love to help him understand, to help him experience, to help him see what real love looks like in a world that's all about you better earn it. It's a book I read a couple years ago called Grit by Angela Duckworth. I'll talk about that in just a moment. We get the second point. But in the book... She talked about how important, even if you want to develop grit and success in your children and your employees, you have to first model failure, model mistakes, model what it's like to process grief and disappointment. That's what people need, an unconditional environment to process real feelings, real emotions, real truths and and pains in life. She's one thing she does, even though she's written a best-selling book and she's kind of known all over her department as a collegiate professor, as somebody famous, she still continues to write peer-reviewed articles. She said, every time I'll get a a peer-reviewed article back and it's a single-space, 13-page rejection letter telling you why you're an idiot for not accounting for this study or that study or this study. And she said, and I always share my 13-page rejection letter with all my graduate students and all my employees. I want them to see that leaders fail. I want them to see how I process failure. I want them to see how I get back up grittiness and and figure out how to do it better next time. can't tell you how many times I have parents 
Dads in particular in our office are talking to a pastoral staff member says, I don't want my kids to see my failures. I don't want my kids to see my weakness. Well, then your kids are going to learn the only thing they give you is the pretend version of everything going well. Our kids need to learn how to, to, to fail. They need to learn how to deal with rejection. As we went through depression, as we went through autism, we had a great conversation about a month ago. Sierra and her boyfriend came uh, back, and her boyfriend's been living with us. Sierra's in an uh, apartment or home one evening, and we're just talking through the trauma that autism has caused in our life. A lot of tears that evening. It was interesting to watch my future son-in-law watch the rest of us process as Sierra openly shared some of the difficulty and loss of childhood that happened because of things that were outside of our control. And it wasn't anybody's fault, but it was a chance to process out loud together in an environment where, hey, however you feel, it's fair game. You know, there's no good way to deal with this. It was such a connecting moment to say, hey, I felt that way. I didn't know what to do. Sharing our failures doesn't create distance. It creates intimacy and honesty. And we're never going to do it right, and that's why we need grace. Grace for each other. Environments of unconditional love. And that's what Jehoiada does so well here with King Joash. So much so that it's not just grace they create, but also grit. It's in this place of grace that they've got six years to train a future king. Have you ever thought about parenting as six years to train a royal leader? I mean, he'll become king at age seven. I'm not sure I even had that mindset for age 18 or 20. But again, we want to create a safe place, not just for the safe place. In that safe place, we want to create grit, dangerous leaders for a dangerous world. It's dangerous out there, and we cannot protect them from the dangerous. We've got to equip them for the danger. And it's in this safe place they build grit into them. Look what happens here in the passage. It's been six years now. It's time to step up to the plate. And so Jehoiada, the priest who's been watching over him, strengthens himself. All right, we're ready to go. We've been working with Joash. We've got to take on the modern-day Hitler of our day, a rabid granny. We've got to create a whole new kingdom that's going to protect everybody, going to give justice to everybody. So they've been teaching him and loving on him, giving him leadership training and skill training and king training. And now they've strengthened themselves. It's day to take on rabid granny. And they've got a strategy for doing so as they put everybody together. They made a covenant. Let's get the captains, the guards. You're going to protect this side. You're going to protect this side. We're finally going to overcome and stop this reign of terror from rabid granny. And that's what they do. They build into this young man grit. The ability to take on a dangerous world around him. With the structure he needs, with the relationships he needs, with the protection he's going to need early on to begin this reign. Grit. In her book, Grit, Angela Duckworth studied what best produces success. They studied people who went into West Point. Who had the best chance of graduating? What were the factors? They studied people who went to the National Spelling Bee. What were the factors that most led to the winners of the spelling bee? They studied teachers, rookie teachers in tough, tough neighborhoods. Which rookie teachers would make it through the rigorous challenges of this type of neighborhood and this type of school? And they found it was not IQ. 
intelligence did not determine who made it at West Point. Well, you've got to be smart to be at West Point. IQ did not determine who won the spelling bee. It did not determine which teacher stuck it out. It wasn't even emotional quotient, though that was extremely important. It was actually GQ, your grit quotient, your ability to keep on keeping on. Despite failure, keep focused on the goal, to push through, to overcome, not just hard you can hit, how hard you can be hit, and keep on moving. It was your grit quotient that led to your ability to be successful. And so you may be one of the, on the parental side, the one who's really good at the grace and the love, but you've left out the importance of grit. Or you may be so important on grit that you just think, oh, that psycho babble nonsense Chad talked about, let's cut the message off and start here. The research shows you need both, which is why the Bible is such a smart book. It's been saying for years, grace and truth, grace and grit, that's how people flourish. What if you looked at your kids or grandkids, whatever age they are, what if you looked at yourself with your parents or your grandparents and said, I need to use this time for royal training. I need to be ready to take on the worst the world has to offer by the time I'm 18, 22, 25. Pick your number. And then to think about that number is working backwards. How do we develop the grit to create dangerous leaders to take on this dangerous world. If you thought about it that way, wouldn't you put a strategy together? And that's what we need. We need a strategy for approaching parenting, a strategy for attacking this thing. And my goodness, Jehoiada has one, and it's quite the strategy. All right, here we go. We're about to announce, and as we go to announce this thing, we got a third of the people protecting this side. A third of you are the personal guards for Joash. A third of you are going to keep the, the front gate so we don't have rabid granny and her soldiers coming in and surprising us. It is a very thought-out strategy. And I would propose to you that grit training requires a strategy. What is your strategy to help develop grit and grace in your children? We usually have strategies for sports. We usually have strategies for for education. But do you have a strategy for developing the inner fortitude? What kind of experiences? What kind of mission trips? What kind of serving opportunities? What kind of environments can you create to put the grit into the tough questions that are coming their way? Like I said, I have a 21-year-old and 18-year-old, and I go skiing with them once a week for the last 10 years. And part of my strategy was, every time we went skiing, the phones were off one direction, either way there or the way back, and for 45 minutes on the way to Perfect North, they had to ask me the toughest question they've ever heard about the Bible. Sometimes I had answers. Sometimes I had to go do some research. But for 10 years, once a week during that season, then we'd go jet skiing. On the way to jet skiing, turn your phones off. Toughest question. No questions off limits. And we talked about everything, from marijuana to the problem of evil to whether or not God really exists, to what do I believe about this? Dad, why do you believe this? It was a safe place to ask the toughest questions. Talk about sex. To make it not just a topic, a subject, but a topic of conversation. It was a strategy. One of many strategies. What does it look like to be as strategic as a parent as you are in your organization to have a five-year plan for your parenting and your family as you do in your department to reach your goals. Do you have a strategy? 
Part of what we want to do as a church is come alongside you with that. Kind of the next couple weeks, we've got family nights. Because a lot of us are like, uh, I know how to do X. I don't know how to do family strategy. We've got family nights to help build into you some of those strategies, both for protecting your family against pornography in your home. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But also how to create a, an ability to create grace when maybe it wasn't modeled for you growing up. You've never seen it, let alone done it. We've got men's groups and women's groups. You can get along other people and say, man, uh, you do it all right, whatever right means, it still doesn't work. I need help. I need to know I'm not alone in this. In our men's study, how do we, how do we as men, learn how to, to up some of the things that, that we, we didn't develop early on so that we can be the kind of dads and husbands that we want to be, the best version of ourselves? It was called Real Men, where we take 13-year-old boys with their dads and, and we take them off together and we, we sort of give you a, a milestone moment for what it means to sort of build that into your strategy. But think strategically about developing your kids, putting into them what they need and, and what it's going to take to develop them the way they need to. So here's what happens. Jehoiada has a strategy. And sure enough, they've got Joash and they're ready to take on rabid granny. And here's what happens. They come in. And as they're protected on all three sides and the grit is ready, they're taking on the, the ancient Hitler lady herself. They come in and all the soldiers are gathered around. They're protecting him and they anoint him. They give him a testimony. It says, every man has a weapon. Everyone is protected. It's a dangerous world out there. And they're all protected as they begin to announce the new king is here. And it's a new king. It's a reign of love. It's a reign of peace. And we're going to take on the evil of killing off unjustly the family heirs. And as they do that, Queen Athelia hears about it. And she is not happy, as you can imagine. The rabid granny is more rabid than ever. She comes out, treason, 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 she says. I'm not going to take this. And she didn't realize that her grandson had escaped. And so she comes out with treason, treason. Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of the hundreds who were with her in the army. And they said to her, take her outside under guard. And now the new administration basically kills her for taking account for everything she had done and all the unjust killing she had done. She's held to account for that. And then this young man that for six years was given grace and grit is raised up to be the new king, King Joash. And he gives this speech and talks about what the new reign's going to look like, what the new priorities are going to look like, what the new vision's going to look like, what the new mission's going to look like based on what's been built into him as he's processed through trauma, as he's understood what God's ideal is, not just power-hungry ideal that he witnessed in his family. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. There's this unity. We're all part of God's people. Let's pass laws and let's create a kingdom that protects everyone, that cares for everyone. And they created a leader, a dangerous leader, who could do dangerous but good things in a dangerous world. So how about you? You say, well, I'm not a parent. I'm a teenager. You think about the teams you lead. You think about the, the places you work. Are you creating an environment in your friendships, in your interactions, in the places that you have influence of grit and grace? I want to propose to you that we need to emphasize grit and grace. And our world has no lack of emphasis on IQ, right? I want to propose to you that we need to start focusing on EQ, SQ, and GQ. 
emotional quotient. And the research on EQ shows it's even more important than IQ. And that is grace. Reading people, understanding people, creating a place where people can be open and honest. That success comes as we begin to say, my family is going to be focused on developing EQ for myself and the family. And, boy, it might be hard for you because you like the EQ but not the GQ. We've got to create dangerous leaders. We can't protect our kids forever. We've got to create dangerous children. Good but dangerous children who can take on a dangerous world with dangerous temptations. But to do that, the research shows that our ability to process the dangers and difficulties in life comes from SQ, spiritual quotient. Call it religion, call it faith, call it faith perspective. I call it the gospel or the good news. That religion and faith is what undergirds your ability to take on dangers and difficulty. In the book Resilience, he says it this way. It's a little wordy because he's a psychologist, but let me read it to you. And look what he's saying about the role of faith in dealing with disappointment and trauma and difficulty. The strange opacity of certain empirical events, the dumb senselessness of intense and excorable pain. He's saying life will kick you in the teeth. All raise the uncomfortable suspicion that perhaps the world, and hence man's life in the world, has no genuine order at all. No empirical regularity, no emotional form, and no moral coherence. You look at the world, how people will treat you, how life will treat you, the difficulty that happens to you, the seemingly senseless violence around you, and it's like, you know, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no morals. He goes on to say, The religious response, the spiritual quotient, to this suspicion is in each case the same. The formulation of an image such as a genuine order of the world which will account for, even celebrate the perceived ambiguities, the puzzles and paradoxes in the human experience. He says if you want to build resilience or grit into your kids, they need a spiritual quotient. Religion helps you process through the problem of evil. I mean, think about the Christian view to evil is not yet. God hasn't dealt with evil yet, but he will. Atheism's answer is not ever. So if you struggle with a problem of evil, and we all struggle with it, by the way. People who say, I struggle with a problem of evil, so I became an atheist. Really? Because if you struggle with a problem of evil, atheism has the worst possible answer, the most hopeless answer. It's not ever going to be dealt with. No one's ever going to be held account. Good's never going to be rewarded. Not ever. Now, it's frustrating to be a Christian. It's frustrating to say not yet, but there is a yet. It's not meaningless. There's a meaning coming. God will eventually bring justice. He'll eventually explain. And that spiritual quotient helps you frame and understand and look into and build into your current pains and circumstances the ability to deal with it. So much so that Bill Gates and his dad wrote a book. I saw them in a radio interview discussing what did his dad build into him that brought him such success. He mentioned many things, but three things in particular. Dad gave me that allowed me to be successful. Number one, he said, Dad told me it's good to have interests, but those interests shouldn't interfere with family obligations. He says, big as my company has gotten, as much influence as I have, Dad taught me early on that family was to be a haven. Family was to be a place that was a priority. It's a pretty important principle. 
Two, a big part of making a positive difference in your community is just showing up, being present, being available, looking for opportunities, looking for people in need, just showing up, being around. And thirdly, his dad told him a quote from the book of Luke. Bill, it's one of the most important things you need to know. To whom much is given, much is expected. And you think of all the ways Bill Gates and his foundation is impacting and changing the world, dealing with poverty at a worldwide level, one of the most generous men in human history. And he would say one of the things that motivated that was my dad teaching me how to be dangerous in a dangerous world. And he gave me a verse from the book of Luke. To whom much is given, much is expected. And those who've been faithful in little things, Jesus will say, will be entrusted with greater things. What does it look, for, look like for you and I to teach our children and grandchildren well about great grace and grit? Well, listen, you are in a room filled with imperfect parents and imperfect kids. And so welcome to a group of failures. Kenny's a failure. I'm a failure. We're all failures. And that's why we need grace. I'm more of a failure than he is. But let us be part of a community that helps figure out what it looks like to teach our children well. So I hope this series, Smart Book, will give you some tools for that. We appreciate you being here today. Join us next week as we continue our journey into this Smart Book together. Thanks for being here. If you came prepared to give, you can give on the way out. Thanks so much. Thank you.